Welcome to today's edition of The Plumb Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H.com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and as I continue my visits with Dr. Randall Price today, I do hope that all of us are continuing our prayers, fervent prayers for the nation of Israel and its people in this day and age. Dr. Price will address Israel in prophecy on part two of our discussion. Reach me anytime to share your thoughts, comments, questions about the broadcast at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Support for the Plumline Radio Ministry is provided by Lori Hammer, functional nutritional therapy practitioner and neuronutrition expert. Lori specializes in brain balancing and hormone health. Whether you're struggling with anxiety, depression, brain injury, or hormone disruption, Lori is the practitioner for you. She sees a wide variety of clients throughout the world, virtually or in person. You can find more information about Lori at lorihammer.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E hammer.com. Support for The Plumb Line is provided by these fine business sponsors, Abundant Life Landscape, your irrigation repair specialist. Call them at 619-277-2410. And by Charles McLucas, Jr., founder and CEO of Charitable Trust Administrators, Inc. Learn about the benefits of a charitable remainder trust at cta-ca.com. Proverbs Payments is a partner with The Plumb Line in helping me to raise the funds necessary for broadcasting this gospel-proclaiming show. Proverbs Payments is a Christian credit card processing company who is kingdom-focused instead of profit-focused. To learn about how they can benefit your business or ministry, visit ProverbsPayments.com. Thanks for tuning in to The Plumb Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, talking with Dr. Randall Price, founder and president of World of the Bible Ministries, and we're well, we've been discussing in the last segment anyway a bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls and archaeology, and now I want to shift a little bit kind of back to where we were in the first segment where we talked a little bit about Jerusalem and the refounding. I don't know, that's probably not the right word, reinstitution of uh, Israel as a nation, and so we're going to discuss that and the importance from a biblical perspective of that. But wanted to wrap up here on the archaeological aspect. You mentioned the National Geographic had a cover piece on your excavation. Right. Yeah, the cover story was called Looking for the Bible or Discovering the Bible, and it dealt with a number of people who were involved in trying to find ancient manuscripts, of which we were one. So there's a write-up about myself and our team and my wife and in that particular issue, the December 2018 edition of National Geographic. Okay, well, great. So people can look that up, December 2018, National Geographic. And, of course, you can look up uh, more information at worldofthebible.com as well. And that's where I am right now. I'm looking at an article, Jerusalem in the Coming Days, that you wrote back in 2020. So this is a couple, little over a couple years old, but still very relevant because it discusses the central importance of Jerusalem, not only in the Word of God, but in society and our world as well. And let me just kind of start there, pretty basic, with... Why is it that Jerusalem is such a big deal? Well, the article you're talking about happens to be built off of a book I wrote called Jerusalem and Prophecy, God's Stage for the Final Drama. And that kind of puts it all together for us. Jerusalem was chosen by God as a place where he would demonstrate throughout history 
that he was in charge, that he had a promised people and a promised place for those people and a promised plan for that promised people in that promised place. So all of that together makes Jerusalem probably the most important center and city on earth. Just, you know, walking through it, God has said that this is where he placed his presence forever. He said, my eye is upon Jerusalem, it's the apple of my eye. It becomes that place, even though small by human consideration, by comparison with other cities and places in the world, becomes the place where God will reveal himself, where he established his presence with the first temple and the second temple. And according to his uh, statements in the prophet Ezekiel, there'll be a third temple as well. For that reason, we realize that Jerusalem must have a future. Uh, It's had a very difficult past, you might say, because God demonstrated that if he chose the people and he expected them to follow him and trust him and to know him, and they did not, there would be consequences. The consequences of being chosen is that you are in a very special position, and you're blessed out of proportion to others, but you're also disciplined out of proportion to others, and that's what happened to the Jewish people in history. They recognize that. You can read about it on the pages of Scripture, but along with that, there is a complementary promise that after all of this, God will restore them, redeem them, bring them to the place, and Jerusalem will be, as it were, a beacon light throughout all the world. All the nations will come to Jerusalem to worship. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 tell us that, that in that day, it'll be center of peace. The returned Messiah will rule and reign from there, and he will end war. All those who are longing for an end of violence and war, which is always around this globe, that will only be accomplished once the Messiah returns and rules from Jerusalem. And it is a picture also of the wonderful promises that God made through the prophets. He said that the temple will be restored. With a restored temple will come restored blessings. The temple wasn't just made as some archaic building for the Jewish people to do sacrifices. Jesus himself said, my house should be a house of prayer for all people. And it's a, it's a picture of a place where people will meet God. And from there, he will rule and reign. He will bring about universal prosperity in this time we call the age of the kingdom. So these are all things that God has promised, and Jerusalem is the center of all of them. Fantastic and fascinating. And as we think about that, uh, you know, I wanted to pull out uh, one aspect of that that you mentioned, the rebuilding, reconstruction of the temple, because I'm guessing you probably have some good firsthand knowledge of that with all your trips to, to Israel. What's taking place in that regard? Yeah, very much so. Back in 1967, with that recovery of territory and particularly of the eastern part of Jerusalem, which had been taken from 1948 to 1967 by the Jordanian forces, Jerusalem was united. And I was living in Jerusalem at the time it was declared to be uh, the single capital of the Jewish uh, state. It had been the spiritual capital and even political capital of the Jewish people all the way down from the very beginning, from the time of King David, when he established it that and on. But since it had been destroyed and, and been in other hands throughout the various generations, uh, that wasn't perceived that way. People looked at Jerusalem as a symbol of God's 
judgment and of the Jewish people's being scattered. But but now things are very different, and the Jewish people have returned. Uh, Jerusalem is probably one of the best-known cities in the world. Israel is called the Innovation Nation. A lot of those startup companies and things are in Israel. The very cell phone we're talking on right now is a product of Israeli genius, as well as the GPS systems, so the ways and things like that that help direct us around wherever we go, and countless other things, medical technology and other fields. And God has blessed, as we call it, Jewish giftedness, but there is a certain thing with the calling and chosenness of God's people that allows them to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that's what was promised uh, to Abraham, that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But there's a spiritual side to that, too, and that is yet to be realized. We have the focus of Orthodox Jews wanting to rebuild the temple because they believe the spiritual condition of the Jewish people worldwide is very low. Or to raise that, elevate that, it needs to be a central focus, and that is the, the return of the temple, the focus on God, His restored presence, even the coming of Messiah, all the things that are, are promised. Now, they have a different way of looking at it. Uh, somehow, I think they feel that if they get the temple built, then God will come and do what he said. Whereas we look at the scriptures, it's not quite that way. It's more as they are brought to a place of national repentance and follow him, then he will come and build that temple. So it's a little different understanding of things, but the focus is the same. So we see Jewish Orthodox Jews today involved with the temple movement. They had a new Sanhedrin put together and convened a number of years ago. Their goals are to ultimately rebuild the temple, establish an altar on the Temple Mount, to, to have a united kind of Israel, but under the rule of a king, as it was in the past, establish a priesthood that's functioning, to do all kinds of things. Uh, with the ashes, the red heifer, consecrate things with their whole uh, plan that they've already drawn up, with blueprints and things, rebuild the temple, restore the sacrificial system. Of course, those all things raise a number of questions among uh, thinking Christians, but the idea is that God has a program that he laid out literally in Scripture and that will be fulfilled. Ultimately, it will be fulfilled by him and his way, but uh, we see that being done today, and that should encourage our hearts to say, you know, God is up to something, and it's taking place right there in Jerusalem, and while politically it still can't be accomplished Ground is being broken, plans are being laid, more is being done each and every day. So we're getting closer and closer to that fulfillment. Mm, yeah. Well, and from what I've read of you, I think you and I hold uh, very similar, probably pretty much identical eschatological views, and we're going to be spending a little bit of time on that eschatology in the final segment here, and you've led into that very nicely. I appreciate your update and insights on what's going on there now with the temple rebuild and things like that. And the last segment, uh, my goal and intent is to address that in more detail, Israel and prophecy, and especially how concerning it can be, I guess, some, some different views that are out there and how that affects how we view Israel and in a way that does not align with the Scriptures, I would say, and, and I believe you would as well, as we'll talk especially about preterism, but we'll get into other aspects of this as well. Eschatology, Israel and prophecy, all from a biblical worldview, is going to be 
the topic, I guess you could say, for the final segment. Dr. Randall Price is my guest. Worldofthebible.com is the website where you can find him and his archaeological discoveries and lots of other information, including the articles that I'm referencing. So stay tuned to The Plumb Line, and I hope that uh, you can stick around. And if you missed any of this, again, you can find it when you go to places where you go for podcasts, like Spotify, just put in The Plumb Line with Jay Rudolph. This is a listener-supported radio ministry, and if you reach out to me via email, I can share how you can support, as I would appreciate uh, that support of the broadcast, and also support the businesses that you hear advertising because they make it possible for The Plumb Line to be on the radio. The email address again is theplumlineradio at gmail.com, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Life can be tough, and sometimes we all need a helping hand. That's where Integrity Counseling Group comes in. At Integrity, we're not just counselors. We're your companions on the journey of healing. We believe in restoring connections with yourself, with your loved ones, and with your faith. With three welcoming locations in Mission Valley, Carlsbad, and San Marcos, plus convenient telehealth services across California, we're right by your side, San Diego. Visit us at integritycounselinggroup.com or call us anytime at 760-283-7000. 760-283-7000. If this is you, you will be glad you reached out to us. Your spouse who handled the finances just died and you are frightened or uncertain. You are concerned about your retirement planning. Will we outlive our money? Can we leave our financial legacy to our children? The stock market is making you very nervous. You wonder if there is a better way. You are looking for Psalm 1 godly financial advice from a fiduciary professional with more than 40 years of experience. You do not want your estate to go through probate or conservatorship. You want your heirs' inheritances protected from creditors, lawsuits, and toxic spouses. You have concerns about some of your beneficiaries' money management abilities. EPS Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor firm located in Phoenix, Arizona, but serving clients in several states. Call us for a no-cost, no-obligation conversation about your financial concerns or to get answers to your questions. We can be reached at 623-537-3657. That's 623-537-3657. EPS RIA LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where EPS RIA and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. This is The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, my guest is Dr. Randall Price. And we are looking into Israel from a biblical worldview, as well as talking a bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls and some archaeology. Covered a lot of ground here in this broadcast, and quite a bit more to come here in this final segment. I brought up uh, eschatology and the eschatological aspect of all of this, and we were discussing the rebuilding of a temple and the progress that's taking place on that. And speaking of that, uh, Dr. Price, you mentioned to me you've written some books on that, and people can find that as well when they go to the website, worldofthebible.com. So people can find a lot more when they go to your website, right? Yeah, and I might mention, too, that coming out is the Evangelical Study Bible. I've contributed to that, all the archaeological notes, but also did a number of commentary notes, one being on the book of Ezekiel. So a lot of the things we're talking about, it's good to see them in this text of Scripture and to understand them. And so that Evangelical Study Bible put out by Thomas Nelson would be a good source. I'm going to have to get a copy of that myself here. But I brought up here a, a column that was written, well, a couple of years ago as well, I guess. You can find this at worldofthebible.com. 
but it deals with something called preterism. It's titled uh, AD 70, Preterism's Prophetic Dead End. And uh, we do this here, and we discuss this to try to basically look at every topic and issue from a biblical worldview. And so I think when we look at that title in essence, what I find is that if you follow this type of view, and I'm going to have you explain just what it teaches or what it means, but if you follow this, it's, it's really hard for me anyway to look at the scriptures and to look at the world that we live in today and make sense of things if you hold to that preterist view. And so explain what it is and, and why that's the case. Yeah, let me say, when it comes to Christians, we all have a common acceptance of the statement in Scripture that Jesus will return. He promised to do that. When he comes, there are things we expect him to do. Those things have to be interpreted, and people, even though they have a biblical worldview, may interpret the Bible somewhat differently. Some people take the text of Scripture, and they look at it, and they treat it more in a symbolic or spiritual way than they would a literal or nationalistic way. And that is, when we come to Israel, the promises that were made to Israel, some people say, well, those weren't really promises for them as a nation that would continue in the future. They're simply uh, statements about spiritual hopes and realities, and and since they failed, those were transferred to others who were successful with them, but it would be the church today. And then there are those like myself that would say, no, we're looking at this in context. This was an historic people. A nation was created by God. The promises were made to a nation. The statements we see, uh, both related to the Ten Commandments, as well as the, the whole legal system, and the temple itself, were all designed for Israel to function in a very national, literal way, and the promises made to restore that were not made in any different way. The hopes the Jewish people had for the future were in light of what they realized at their present time, which is the past for us, and uh, there's simply no other way to explain that, what what God promised God to perform. He didn't expect to do it in a different way. And so that affects our understanding of interpretation of prophecy. Uh, In fact, a lot of things. I mean, if we believe there's a literal creation and a literal Adam and Eve and a literal flood, uh, we find the book of Genesis, and when we look into the future, we see something like the book of Revelation talk about a new creation. It talks about a new sort of Garden of Eden in the New Jerusalem, and it talks about other things. Is that simply symbolic, or is God going to, on the same basis in which he did something literally in the past, now he's going to repair and restore and fulfill the things in the future. And I don't see any other way to understand it. So I take a very consistent, literal interpretation throughout the Bible. That is my guide for being able to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when we come to when Jesus was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, they asked him a question. They were looking at the Temple Mount. They said, what about this beautiful temple? We just toured it with you. You've seen how it's still being constructed. He said, I tell you, not one stone which you see here will be left stand upon another. He said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles fulfill. He said, the stones will come down and your children within you. So he predicted the time of the destruction of the temple and the desolation of Jerusalem. And this led the disciples to say, well, when will these things be? When is this going to happen? And Jesus told them. He gave them guidelines. They asked questions. You know, what will be the sign of these things? When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
And so he's, he's explaining a very large period of time, the very near events, which will take place with the Roman destruction of the temple, and then the far events, which will happen at the time of his return to earth. And as we look at the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, 25, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, this pivotal section uh, is Jesus teaching about the future. Now, if you have the view of a literal, consistent understanding, it addresses the Jewish people, their concerns. The focus is Jerusalem. The focus is the temple that they were looking at. And it's also talking about the return to restore these things. And, and so why would we think of it differently? But if you do, then you're going to read it differently and have a very different idea of the future. So what the preterists do as they interpret everything as having been fulfilled in the past. That's what preterism means. It's from the word that means past. And they say, well, when Jesus said he was going to come, he came. He came in the little destruction of the Jewish temple. And his coming was not about a coming to restore anything. It was a coming to destroy the Jewish people, discipline them for their rejection of Jesus and other things. This would all be done in a very spiritual way. It would be a literal destruction but spiritually, it was almost an invisible coming. This would happen in this way. And so their point of view is that the Jewish people have no future, no hope, apart from becoming a Christian and joining the church. There's no promises from the past made to them for the future. They just don't have that. And what's happened in Israel today is simply a historical fluke. People coming to a place that was important in the past, and people mistakenly connected with the, the Bible. But there's problems, of course, with this. We say, when Jesus came in the past, then, you know, we're already at the time after his coming, which is the time the Bible predicts as a very wonderful, glorious time. And I look around, and I don't see that. And so they say, well, it's spiritual. And then there are some who say, well, no, he is coming again. There's actually two comings. One happened in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple. The other is coming in the future. So we call those partial preterists or moderate preterists. We call the others, they call themselves consistent preterists, or their, their adversaries call them extreme preterists, but these are the viewpoints. Now, the problem with all this is we have to deal with the text itself. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, He's talking about some near events. Luke 21 tells us about that. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get prepared. But then he talks about far events, too. He talks about when you see this abomination that makes desolate sitting in the temple, is Daniel the prophet prophesied. And if you look at Daniel's prophecies, Daniel's not talking about a destruction of the temple. He's talking about a, a desecration of the temple by a certain individual. None of that happened in Roman history. If you try to take Roman history and make it fit all of the discourse and events like that, it's very difficult to do. You have to have great license in doing it. So it's a problem. Of course, the ultimate problem is I don't think it fits Scripture. I think it violates what we see God doing with the Jewish people today. How can you possibly say that God's words fulfilled and destroying them in the past and yet, here they are again, a magnificent force throughout the world, preserved throughout history, uh, back in the land, still in a national state. How can you say that's not part of God's plan? And then going forward, you really have no place to go because all the scriptures that were related to Jesus coming and what he was going to do, you say, are already fulfilled. 
So I have a problem with, I think there are problems dealing with the actual text of the Olivet Discourse, the larger picture of what God has promised in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New. And this came out of Reformed theology, but largely Reformed theology distanced itself from it and does not accept it. So I would say, yeah, there are a lot of people talking about this, but I, I would caution them, first go to Scripture, understand what Scripture says, uh, not in light of what the preterists say, but try to understand the text for yourself with competent sources, and then look at it in the light of uh, realistic history, what God has done and is doing, and I don't think you can come out with the preterists do. Mm, yeah, fantastic explanation. I really appreciate that. And I want to just sum up here. I've only got maybe 30 seconds left. So, but I just want to sum up by saying now, neither of us is saying that someone who holds to this view is not a, a believer. I want to be very cautious and careful to say that because there are a lot of great Christians who do hold to this view. And I guess what I'm saying, and I think what you're saying too, is we don't believe that they're in line with the Word of God on this issue, but we're not saying they're not a believer. So, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we as uh, believers in Jesus, have, as I said at the very beginning, certain fundamentals that we all adhere to and agree to, but there are other things we have differences on, and it always will, I think, but uh, that'll all be straightened out when we get to see him face to face. But the great hope we have before us is what we call the blessed hope that he has promised and that he will fulfill. That's what started me out of my spiritual journey, that God had promised that and was going to do it, and Israel was at the focus of it, and I think that's exactly what we all can look forward to that uh, he's going to do exactly what he said, and our great hope is in him. Mm, amen. I uh, thank you so much for being on, Dr. Randall Price, my guest, and I do hope I can have you back again in the future. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. All right. Lord's blessings to all of you tuning in here. Thanks for joining me for the Plumb Line, and I do hope you'll come back for the next edition as well. We take a different topic or issue, and sometimes we have a few different uh, topics or issues that we weave together and discuss from a biblical worldview. And so thanks for being with me. Come back for the next one. You can reach me anytime via email, theplumblineradio at gmail.com. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com.